Dear friends, I'm preaching this Sunday, Reformation Sunday, from the steps of St. Mark's Lutheran Church, where we have been offered the opportunity to come and stand in front of their front red door to honor the Reformation Sunday. And I want to say thanks to their pastor, Matt Smith, for welcoming us and giving us this beautiful opportunity uh, to stand in their space and to honor their namesake, Martin Luther, and to pay tribute in a way to their own faithful witness in Asheville. So thank you, Matt, and thank you, St. Mark's Lutheran Church. A couple of weeks ago, I preached on children's Sabbath in the hopes that our children would hear a unique message while the rest of us simply overheard. Likewise, this Sunday, I just wanna preach a message for our young people, our youth, our college students, our early 20-somethings, and maybe even a few newlyweds. Those who have the most at stake uh, in this time of upheaval, and those who may be hoping the most for a new reformation. So this message is for you. And I want to do this in a way that keeps in spirit the reformation of the church, from 500 years ago, the Protestant Reformation, but also with the hope that there is a Reformation to come in the church today. I stand before this red door in the hopes that we might catch some of this Reformation spirit. So it was 503 years ago in Wittenberg, Germany, when a young Martin Luther stepped up to the door, and legend has it, the door of All Saints Church. And he nailed 95 theses on that door to set up an intellectual, rather academic confrontation with the powers of the church of his day. He was mad. He was angry at the way things were. He was frustrated, uh, passionately so, about the, the way that the church had perverted its own practices and turned the sanctuaries across the land into virtual marketplaces where you could buy your way out of sin. You could pay the church to forgive you for your sins. It was this warped, perverted time in the church's life when so many of the church's own sins had accrued and layer upon layer of corruption threatened the very existence of the church and people's belief in the power of God to work through the church. Martin Luther, with all boldness and a bit of defiance, nails up his theses demanding change, demanding that the church pay attention to its own sins and opening the church up to the common person. Luther had a vision, a prophetic dream, and he made it known quite clearly to the church of his time. And so as the church more or less went cheap for power and Luther challenged them, he invited a great deal of reaction and retribution. He became uh, really a renegade and an outlaw. And in fact, a friendly king, Frederick III, stole Luther and took him to safety. He actually had some henchmen dress up like robbers and take him away to a castle to protect him. They basically put Luther in quarantine 
And there he did some of his best work, challenging the church. He even translated the Bible from Latin to German so more people could understand uh, the content of their faith. And you know, I believe that Luther, if he were alive today, would find our time very familiar. I think, again today, he would see corruption not only in the church, but in the state. In fact, he might even say that church and state both and their institutions were beginning to buckle under the weight of their own corruption or their own comfort or their own greed or, well, if I'm talking to youth right now, I don't have to tell you that you probably already have a lot of suspicious distrust of the institutions that give structure to your life. We're at a crossroads really now, and I believe Luther would join me in saying this. We're at a nexus, two pathways of wisdom and wickedness. And we all have a choice to make as to which path we want our society to go. I want to say to our young people today on this Reformation Sunday that I believe that we share in the same kind of crucial time that Luther did in his own time. It's a time of, of dreaming, of, of daring, of imagination, of, of bold declarations of challenge and bold expressions of faithfulness. And I believe one of the very first things that we can dare to do, which Luther did a great deal of, is pray. And we can begin with the very first prayer in the prayer book of our scriptures, Psalm 1, our text for today, for our, our Psalm of the week, and the text for this sermon. It begins like this, Happy are those who don't follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. You know, I'm really not concerned about our young people taking this path of wickedness, but I do worry sometimes that you may end up sitting in the seat of scoffers. To be a scoffer really is to be a cynic. It's to be someone who laughs at dreamers and those who believe when it's hard to believe. To be a scoffer is to, well, is to be cynical about life itself. Recently, you may have heard people laughing at the young environmental activist, Greta Thunberg, for having the daring faith to sail across the Atlantic Ocean to raise awareness for climate change. That's what a scoffer does. It, they laugh at people who dream big. Don't become cynical. <laughs> I faced this kind of challenge myself. I grew up in the 80s, and one of the most popular movies at the time was Back to the Future. Marty McFly went all the way into the future of 2015. And in that future, he had these cool sneakers that could tie themselves, and he had a hoverboard that, not the kind of hoverboard we have now with the wheels, but this was like a real hoverboard that floated and I let myself believe that by the time we got to 2015, maybe that's what the world would look like. And now I find as an adult that we sort of got the world that his arch nemesis Biff wanted. It can be a challenge not to become 
a cynic. But don't sit in the seat of scoffers. I dare you to dream. I dare you to believe. I dare you to hope and to rest in a sure and certain hope. The psalmist continues, we don't sit in the seat of scoffers, but we delight in the law of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord. That's just what Luther did. Even in quarantine, he delighted in the scriptures. He, he plumbed the Bible for meaning. He searched the chapters of each book for truth. He wrote until he couldn't write anymore to help the church dream of a new way of being an expression of God's kingdom on earth. And like I said, he translated the entire Latin version of the Bible into German so that everyone could read it. Do you know how much trouble that cost for people in his time, especially the people in power who tended to control interpretations of Scripture? Well, now that everybody had a Bible they could read, they could read it for themselves. They could read in groups, in community, prayerfully, alone in the rooms, and they could discover God's own revelation in new ways. It was very disruptive. I want you to remember that. I dare you to remember just how much trouble you can get into in quarantine. So delight in the scriptures as Luther did, I dare you. Even before the Protestant Reformation, long before the Protestant Reformation, the church, and it's not really certain how it came to be a practice, but the church would paint its doors red as a way of marking a threshold into safety, into sanctuary, into a place where you could not be harmed. If you were, even if you were being chased, if you, if you crossed through the red doors of the church and entered the sanctuary, no one could get to you. It was just a kind of common law. But in this new time, I want to invite you not only to see the red doors of a church as a threshold into safety and peace, sanctuary, I want to invite you to see the doors of any church as a porthole into an imaginarium, a place where it's safe to dream, a place where you're invited to think with boldness, and to make assertive claims about the truth of God and what God's call might be for you and for your community. What if everyone began to see churches as little laboratories of faith where we could be inventors, prodigies, virtuosos of faithfulness and righteousness? How would that change your imagination about your own faith and about our plot of ground at Five Oak Street. That's right. I dare you to walk through the front doors of our church and to imagine yourself as a prodigy of hope, a mad scientist of love, a virtuoso of the cultivation of community and friendship, pioneer of new creation. I just dare you to walk through the doors of our church and to begin to wonder how you and your rambunctious crew of friends 
might cause trouble in faithful ways for the powers that be of our time. Do you remember that scene in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? The, the old version of the movie, not the new version. That one doesn't count. The old version where they walk through that narrow hallway and the whole group marvels as the door opens and they look around at this wonderful room full of treats and candies and delights and chocolate rivers. Every now and then I think about that scene when I see tourists and people who are new to our sanctuary walk in it for the first time. It actually happened this past Sunday. I welcomed some guests from Miami into our sanctuary and just as soon as they walked in the door, it was like they had entered an imaginarium. They looked up and wonder and delight and their mouths fell open a little bit. It was just so gratifying to recognize the way that people would honor that space and appreciate it. That's the idea, to think of our own sanctuary as an imaginarium where wonders and delights and new ideas and new creations can spring forth like never before. Again, I, I dare you to think that way. I dare you to imagine that such good things could well up within our own congregation. You know, it was actually about 30 years ago when sanctuaries across Germany invited young people, really people of all ages, into the sanctuaries to begin prayer meetings where they would dream in sanctuary and in, in safety about a new community, a new kind of nation that was free from the kinds of oppression and the structures of domination and humiliation that were pressing down on all of them. And in fact, it was out of these sanctuary prayer meetings that some of the energy behind the fall of the Berlin Wall began to materialize. Just think of how much power it would take to knock down the Berlin Wall that had stood for decades and divided a community and divided a nation. And that it began to crumble in some ways in the church. <laughs> and so these prayer meetings began to grow in size and they became prayer vigils and then they eventually became prayer marches, candlelight marches through the streets. And eventually they began to even overwhelm the streets and, and even the authorities who were attempting to keep control. It all started in the sanctuaries of churches. It started at one church in particular, the church Thomas Kirke in Leipzig, Germany, just one prayer meeting, one group of people crossing the threshold into a sanctuary with daring, bold faith, imagining a new future. So this Reformation Sunday, that's my message to our young people. How bold are you? How bold and daring is your faith? This Reformation Sunday, 
I dare you, our young people, to gaze upon the portico of our sanctuary, to open the doors into an imaginarium of faith and boldness and all peace and believing, and wonder just how much good trouble you and your companions can get into just by opening to Psalm 1 and beginning to pray together. Happy are those who delight in God's law, in God's instruction, in God's imagination.